So Romans chapter 8, verses 31 through 32, we're considering this section, Romans 8, 28 through 39, where the Apostle Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, teaches us how we should think when we see suffering. And we looked last week at 8, 28 through 30, and there I saw, there we saw together that God's purposes for us are to do us good, to make us like Jesus, and to, let's see, what was the third thing? Oh, bring us to glory, make us, or make us glorious. I was trying to find the English words to, to capture that properly. You know, bring us to glory. It's not quite right because that seems like it's going us to heaven. You know, that's part of it, but it's making us glory. We have that glory in jars of clay and that he's giving us glory, that he's glorifying us. So kind of all those things. So keep that in mind because it's going to come back up uh, in this message. So that was 28 through 30. And then tonight we're looking at 31 through 32. And then we'll uh, go through the, the ne- two, next two sections in the, in the next two weeks. So let's listen uh, carefully to God's holy inspired word, Romans chapter 8, verses 31 and 32. What shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Let's pray. O Lord, As you've given us your assurance in your word and through the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, we pray, O Lord, that you might assure our hearts and fill us with joy and peace as we consider your word tonight. Grant us your spirit that we might see the great things of your word and rejoice in what you have for us and that whatever we face, whatever challenge we face, whatever difficulty or trial comes our way, that we would still be able to trust in you because we'll have such a clear sight of what you have done for us and of your promises. And so we ask this in the name of our great Savior, Jesus Christ, whom we celebrate, especially at this time of year, his death and resurrection. Amen. One of the things we see about the people in the Bible is that they don't always just have easy lives. Even when they do seem to do really well, there often comes in their lives these really hard things. One of, those, one of those persons is Jacob. Jacob had a lot of successes. He was a he was pretty good uh, farmer. He, got, he had a lot of wealth. Um, he started with nothing there in, in Haran, and then he was able to get all that wealth, and he went back, and he prospered in many ways. But he also dealt with a lot of hard things. And probably the hardest thing for him, he, he, he lost his, his parents, of course, you know, as we all do in the course of time, most of the time. Um, but he also lost his wife at a relatively young age. And then he lost his son, Joseph. In his mind, Joseph had been killed, and he was to be seen no more in this life. But it was actually worse than that because he was kidnapped, as it were, by his brothers and sold into slavery. And then it came, the day came when he was living the land where God told him to live, and there was no food. There was a famine in the land, like in the days of Abraham. And he didn't know what to do, so they went down to Egypt. Biblical proof that you should take a trip to Egypt. Right? (laughs) Amen. Um, And so they go down there. 
It's ten brothers. They leave Benjamin behind, the youngest one, uh, Jacob's new favorite. And, the, and they actually meet Joseph there, but they don't recognize him. And so Joseph says, you can go back, but one of you is staying here in prison. And uh, that would be Simeon. And then if you're going to ever come back and see my face again, you've got to bring Benjamin. So they go back to Jacob. And they say, hey, we got some food. He's like, one, two, three, four. Wait a minute. Where's the, we're missing one here. And he realizes that Simeon is gone. And then they say, yeah, we can get him back, though, if we go. But if we go, we've got to bring Benjamin. And listen to what Jacob said in response to this. He says, you have deprived me of my children. Joseph is no more, and Simeon is no more, and now you want to take Benjamin. Everything is against me. Have you ever said that? Man, it's amazing how quick we can be to say that, isn't it? One, one thing goes wrong, you get a little upset, then all of a sudden there's another thing and another thing, and everything is against us. Everything is against me. But what I want to tell Jacob is that, no, God is for you. God is for you. So nothing can truly be against you. That is what God declares in this passage. And so, but how do we know that? Well, God is going to explain to us why we can believe that. Because it's not always easy to believe. Imagine if I had been there that day and said, Jacob, now remember, God is with you. All things work together for good. He'd be like, get out of here. <laughs> You're against me too. It's hard to believe, especially when our anxiety is high. But God gives us a foundation that we can have faith even when everything seems to be going against us. And that's what we want to see tonight. So, First, though, let's look at this, the fact that of what um, Paul concludes based on what we have seen in the last passage. We saw that God's purpose is to do us good, to make us like Jesus, and to bring us to glory, to make us glorious. And that, that purpose is working, being worked out in all things. He works all things for the good. And so he says then, what should we say to these things? In light of these promises, in light of this hope that we should have, then what, what do we say? And the answer is, if God is for us, who can be against us? So what does it mean that God is for us? What it means is he wants to bless us. He wants to do us good. He wants us to make us like Jesus, which is the best thing we can be like. He wants to not only give us good things, but actually make us glorious. That is his purpose. That's what he wants to do for us. But we might say, well, how can he say that who can be against us in the sense that he's saying no one can really be against us? He's doing it, asking a question. Who can oppose us? Who can really be against us to bring us to a bad end? And on the surface of it, it might seem that people can be against us, right? People do oppose us. And what we find is that 
People may not like us. They may not like the church. I remember growing up, there was a, a, my, our, our church in Jackson, Michigan. We had been meeting in a school for six, seven years. And we developed some money. We got some money, and then we were able to purchase property. And when we, when we purchased the property, um, my father or people from the church went and spoke to the people around that area. And one of, the, one of the people across from the street where the church was going to be built said, I will never live by a church. I do not like being by a church, the idea of being by a church. And he said, well, we're getting this property. <laughs> so, and he moved. He sold his house and he left. So it seems like someone could be against us, right? They, they, they don't like us. So what does it mean? Well, it means that ultimately they can do nothing to truly harm us in an ultimate sense. They can do nothing to stop us from attaining the blessing that God has for us. Uh, Ancient Christian preacher John Chrysostom, some people call him the best preacher in history, um, who was the Archbishop of Constantinople back in the 5th century. And here's what he said about, about this idea. He said, but against the faithful who take good heed unto God's laws, neither man nor devil nor aught beside can stand. For if you take away his money, you have become the procurer of a reward for him. If you speak ill of him, by the evil report he gains fresh luster in God's sight. If you cast him into starvation, the more will his glory and reward be. And if what seems to be the most severe stroke of all, You give him over to death, you are twining a crown of martyrdom about him so that he receives glory. You see, so nobody can do anything. It only gets us into a better position. Now, you can see then, in the case of Jacob, even though he thought everything was against him, nothing was truly able to harm him in an ultimate sense. He was bringing it to... Do we need to evacuate? <laughs> Somebody might want to check that, right? So, see, just see what the new alarm is. Because we've been going off. Anything further? Or? Walden's Creek area. Walden's Creek area? And where, all of where's Valley? Evacuate. Wow. Whew. It's heavy, huh? So, well, I think it's just good. Let's just, you know, as we're, we're, we're here focusing on this, and it is somewhat ironic that we are talking about God's good purpose for us. I mean, it's a really obvious example, and I want to talk about that here in a minute. But uh, let me just say another word of prayer as we, as we continue to deal with this together. Just make sure that doesn't say severe. <laughs> so that's, I'm laughing at it, but I know it's serious. So, all right, let's pray. Well, Lord, our God in heaven, uh, we humble ourselves before the, the, the awe of, that is around us in a, what a fire can do. And it is but a drop in the bucket compared to your awesome majesty, for you are said to be a consuming fire. And so, Lord, we humble ourselves. We acknowledge that these are not the sort of things that we can, we can control, that we are so limited. And, but we call upon you, O oh Lord, to intervene. We call on you for mercy at this time. We call upon you to help those who are in need. We call upon you to help those who are working in this dangerous area. Keep them safe. 
give, enable them to, to be able to evacuate anyone who needs to be evacuated. We pray that you would give wisdom to our leaders as they analyze the situation, that they will be able to make the tough calls they need to make. And, oh, Lord, for all those who have already suffered loss, like our, our brothers and, brother and sister Steve and Cindy Boltima, we lift them up to you. We ask that you would have mercy upon them. Even as they mourn the loss of their home, we pray, oh, Lord, that they might have the comfort of you and your, that you are their shield, their very great reward, and that nothing could take that away from them. Oh, Lord, speak to them this night through your people, through your word, through the word that they have studied for years, and grant them your mercy and grace. In Jesus' name, amen. So Jacob, saying everything's against him. But what he needed to see is that God was working here, and, and God was working, and we could say for Jacob, no one could ultimately be against you because God is for you. God is for you. God is for you. Now, how would Jacob know that God was for him? And the answer is, he had the very word of God. He had the promises of God. He had had the promises that were given to Abraham, to Isaac, and Jake, and Abraham, his, his grandfather, and Isaac, his father, where God said, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to do you good. I'm going to give you glory. And God himself had spoken to Jacob and given him the promise when he showed him the ladder to heaven with the angels ascending and descending. And God had said to him, I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go. And that didn't mean just like I'll see you. It meant I'm watching over you to do good things to you. And he says, and I'll bring you back into this land. I will not leave you until I've done what I promised you. Meaning I'll never leave you because I'm going to carry it all out. You can have complete confidence. And so he could be confident, even though it felt like everything was against him. He he felt the pain of those losses, but yet ultimately God had a good purpose for him, a blessing. And he had the promise of God to rely on. But, my friends, we've got something even better. We've got something even better, and that's the second thing. This is the greatest proof, the firmest foundation that God has given us is that he has shown us that he wants to do us good that nothing can ultimately harm us because he has given us his son. God has given us his son. Look at what it says in verse 32. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him Graciously give us all things. Consider the price of giving up a son. And I actually thought of the Jacob story because of that God is for us, nothing can be against us. And I, I had just recently read that, uh, listened to that, that everything is, uh, everything is against me. But then I realized Jacob also, Jacob saw life was bitter. Why was life so bitter for him? Again, not necessarily because he lost his parents, so he loved his parents. Not even because he lost his, his, his wife, though he loved his wife. What made it so bitter was that he had lost his son. He lost his son. That's what made him inconsolable. Day in and day out, day in and day out. None of his other children could come from because he had lost his son. Who would you give up your son for? 
Think about that. I see some of you out there. I know you have sons. Who would you say, I'll, I'll hand him over to death for this person? Now, if you had to say for yourself, right? Like, you could probably think of a lot more people you could sacrifice yourself for. But to give up your son, that's a whole different thing. And you think about Romans chapter uh, 5, when he says, he, Paul talks about that. He says, rarely would someone give their life for a good and righteous man. That's, but, but for a righteous man, for a good man, a really close friend, someone might dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us. In that while we were still sinners, and again, he doesn't underline it there. He really brings it out here. It's not that God, the Father, dies for us, but that he gives up his son to die for the criminal. To die for the criminal. And why would he do that? Because he knew it was the only way by which our sins can be forgiven. The Christ, his son, was the only one who could bear the wrath and yet come out on the other side. He was the only one. This was the only way to bring us back to glory. And God said, in spite of the fact that it was a terrible price, yes, I will give up my son to bring many sons to glory. There are many things that may make us doubt that God is for us. Someone wrote about this on Facebook this week shall remain nameless and don't Google search it. He said, concerning last week's sermon, our pastor spoke from Romans 8 on Wednesday night, how God works for the good of those who love him. That scripture continues, you know it, yes? And I think of cancer in Ukraine while he is speaking, and I'm 65, that might narrow it down. And I know these words, but they are hard to swallow in suffering that is not mine but seen by me in others. And am I the only one? Or is it the same for you? So, he gives expression to the fact that when we look at the, the hard experiences of life, it's easy to doubt that God is for us. And again, and I think poignantly, well said, sometimes even in ourselves, it might be easier to bear than when we see that, that pain in others um, who we love and care about. Like seeing that Steve and Cindy have lost a home. You know, it just grieves the heart. Is God for us? And yet, that's also what the father experienced, right? Because he experienced, he didn't, the father did not suffer. The son suffered. He saw the suffering in another. And that would grieve his heart even more if he were to have taken on the suffering himself. And so the father is forever one who lost a son and one who gave up a son. And so whenever we come to the question and ask ourselves, how do we know when things aren't going right, when people are suffering, when things aren't going well, how do we know that the father's purpose is really to do us good, to make us like Jesus And to bring us to glory. And the father says, what else can I do to show you? I gave up my own son for you. Is there any greater proof 
that you need? What, would I, what could I possibly do to show you that I'm serious about this? That my promises are real and that I'm going to do you good. What more could he say than what he has said? What more could he do? Nothing. We just need the heart of faith. God works in us to really believe and see that clearly and burn it into our consciences and our minds and hearts. And then it will be clear to us that the Father loves us even when everything seems against us. That we'll be able to rise above that and say, no, but I know God is for me because he's given us his son. We need never doubt again his good purposes. And we need never doubt that God is going to bless us and do us good. And not just a little bit of good. He's going to do us a lot of good. He's going to do us all kinds of good. Good thing upon good thing forever and ever and ever and blessing upon blessing beyond what we can even imagine. Because listen to what it says in verse 32. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? What he's saying is this. If he has already given us the thing that matters most to him, the biggest gift he can possibly give, then why would he withhold anything else that we really need? And the answer, of course, he wouldn't. If he's willing to give us the greatest thing, he'll give us everything. What would he withhold? If God did not spare his own son, he'll not fail to give us all things. Now, how can we say, though, that God will give us all things? Because we don't get all things, right? There are some things we want that we don't get. Every single day, in fact. We want things to work out a certain way. We want to be able to get this approval or we want to be able to do this activity. And it doesn't always work that way. So how can he say he will not fail to give us all things? We don't get, sometimes people want children, they don't get them. Some people, sometimes people want vacations and they don't get them. Sometimes people want a spouse and they don't get one. Sometimes people want a house and they lose one. Sometimes people want a job and they can't find one. Sometimes people want health. And they're sick. So it would seem that this is false. And we can see, for example, many cases in the Bible, like Jacob. This, where does it say he's given him all things? He didn't get the things that he wanted. He wanted his son. He didn't have that. He didn't want Simeon to be put in prison. He didn't want Benjamin to be taken in Egypt. But he didn't get that. So how can God say that he gives him all things? There's also, well, the answer to that is actually given by Joseph. And you remember, after Jacob dies, Joseph's brothers and all their family down in Egypt, and Jacob dies, and they say, you know what? Now that dad's dead, Joseph's going to get us back. And so he brings them before him, and they're like, oh, no. (laughs) We are in trouble now. And, and you know what he said? 
He said, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. Don't be afraid. He meant it for good to to bring many people, to save many people alive as it is this day. You see, was God working? Was God working when he's doing good? When Jacob, even when Jacob was suffering? The answer is absolutely. He was working everything out to get this family everything they needed, to bless them, to cause them to survive, to get them in a place where they could grow and thrive and multiply till the day they were ready to go back to Canaan. That's what God is doing. We don't always see it. Jacob didn't see it for a long time, but that's what's happening. I was reminded, give a modern day example, one, uh, one famous story from a missionary named Amy Carmichael. She went to India to be a missionary, and she, growing up, she had brown eyes. And she, she always wanted to have blue eyes. And so she, it always grieved her heart that she could not have blue eyes. She wanted blue eyes, not brown eyes. But then she went to India, and you know what she did? She actually disguised herself and rescued children from slavery. And she was able to disguise herself for, in, in part because she had the brown eyes. And you see, and God gave her a greater blessing. That's what God does. He didn't give her every single little thing that she wanted, but she, he, gave, he gave her blessing upon blessing upon blessing that's still blessing you and me today through her story. So that's what it means. When God will give us all things, it means that God is going to bless us, that he's going to give us everything we truly need and not just what we, what we think we need. He's going to bless us with everything for our abundance. And again, it's not just that he's going to Give us a, he makes sure that we have the bare necessities to survive. He has come that we might have life and we might have it more abundantly. That doesn't mean we're not going to have suffering. doesn't mean we're not going to have problems. But it does mean that God is going to shower us with blessing upon blessing upon blessing. And it's only going to get better all through eternity. He's going to bless us in the present. Because he's going to provide for us and give us many, many blessings. He's going to bring people into our lives that will bless us. If he takes one way, he will give us another. He's giving us work to do. He's giving that is significant. He has given us things to enjoy all around us. And he's going to give us a relationship with himself. In the future, he's going to make us glorious. He's going to, to, to take away all, every tear from our eye. He's going to give us a glorious home in heaven, in the new heavens and earth to all eternity. And in our suffering... He's going to take it and he's going to bring light out of darkness. He'll make, he'll, he will sustain us in the midst of it and use it for our good to make us like Jesus and to make us more glorious than we ever would be had we not experienced the suffering as we follow in the footsteps of Jesus. So how do we know that it is God's purpose when so many things seem to be against us to do all this good to us? Because he did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all. And so will not fail to give us with him all other things as well. So let me just challenge you. When things go wrong, when you're tempted to say, or do say, everything is against me, where can you go? Where do you go? Do you just dwell on that? Do you just live in it? Or do you have a faith that comes alongside that and looks to the promises of God and looks to the cross that says, God is doing all things for our good to make us like Jesus and to make us glorious. That's what I, that's what I think 
That's why I like to see the concrete difference here. You know, we, we can think about this, the day may come when, when we may have cancer. Um, some, I'm looking at Jan. I know she's been through that, right? I'm sure she'd give a testimony. Sometime you need to do that, actually. So, um, and, and the day may, may come we have to die for our faith. We have to face death, but we may not face those things tomorrow. But we are going to have things that go against us. And it's there that we have the opportunity to look to the cross and see that God's purpose is for, to do us good, to make us like Jesus, and to bring us to glory. And then, whatever it is, it gives us strength and power to move forward, it, to have peace, and to continue serving, continue moving forward in the joy of Christ, even when things seem to be against us. That's the foundation that we have. Because our Father has shown us his good purpose for us. He did not spare his own son, but gave him all up for us all. How will he fail to give us all other things as well?